What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness, in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. I can have a pity party. I can beat myself into oblivion for not accomplishing everything I, I wanted to, at, you know, by 50 or not. Or I can just say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm 50 and fabulous. This is who I am. And I'm on a good path and I only foresee it getting better. And I had the dream that Kali like lifted up her skirt and let me crawl up into her womb to see the universe. And I thought, oh my God, it's like, I have a whole universe within me. And that sensuality is that universe. Treva and CK. These two women make me excited to be in my 40s because of what my 50s and 60s might bring especially when we've learned or worked hard to accept ourselves, our sexuality, and our desires. By the way, if you recognized CK's voice there, it may be because I originally released her story in February of last year. After speaking with Treva, I knew I wanted to share CK with you again. First, Treva's story. Treva Brandon Scharf is a dating coach and author who did not skip a beat when I asked her about her early sexuality memories. One memory in particular was exciting. I remember having my first orgasm. I was 14. I lived with my mom. Parents were divorced. Only child was dating, I guess dating, I don't know, a senior we were just kind of rolling around on my mom's couch. She wasn't home, obviously. And I don't know what happened. And we were fully clothed. And I don't know what was going on down there, but something happened. And then I went, oh, yes, that's what this is. I like it. So there you go. <laughs> Even without fully understanding what was involved there, that experience taught Treva some things about herself. I gathered that I was a very orgasmic creature, and I had no hang-ups about sex. There was no shame. I was such a free-range kid. My mother wasn't exactly the most maternal kind of, let me tell you how it works, let me sit you down, birds and bees. It was just sort of like, I don't know, she went off to work, and then it was up to me to, to figure it out myself. I had like a lot of freedom and not a lot of need to abuse that freedom, if you get my drift. She trusted me, too. I stayed a pretty good girl. I mean, don't get me wrong. I experimented. I got naked. I did things. You know, my first BJ, 14. First time I got naked, 14. First orgasm, 14. 14 was a big year. Oh, and I got my period at 14. So, mm. A big year, indeed. Fast forward to Treva's early 40s, approaching 43 specifically, 
That's when Treva had another really big year, in challenging ways, which led her to a big decision, to set her sights on becoming a single mother. I had ended a very difficult relationship that I was hanging on to for dear life, thinking, oh, goody, I'm going to get married and have kids. And this guy just was in no shape, no way he could do it. But I hung in there for about a year and a half and trying to force a square peg into a round hole. But there was no way. The guy was divorced, newly divorced, and had two small children already. He also had a ton of personal issues that just made it extremely difficult to to be with him. And I was 42, you know, about to turn 43. Older than most of her peers when they had the urge to have kids. You know, I can't do anything about that. Things occur to you when they occur to you, right? Treva considers herself an amateur astrologist, and she believes what she was going through was set by the stars. I had a Uranus return, which happens approximately 42, 43 years old. And it's when the planet Uranus comes back to the place of your birth. People, I don't know, they go a little nutty. They get divorced. They have affairs. They buy fancy cars. In my case, I looked around and thought, oh my God, I didn't forget to get married and have kids, but I sort of lost track of time. All of a sudden, I woke up, literally, don't ask why, my eyes flew open and I became painfully aware that time was ticking, that I probably had wasted a lot of time, and that I better get on it. I better get a move on. Treva did not hesitate. I didn't have time to freeze eggs. I didn't have time to find a guy. I did sort of a crash course on single motherhood by choice. I got myself up to speed as fast as I could in terms of research, and I got to work. I had just enough money to kind of start conservatively. I found some donor sperm because there was really nobody in the picture at the time, even a good friend that I wanted to do this with. I didn't want anybody coming back after a few years and wanting their kid or uh uh-uh. So I went for the unknown anonymous donation, got some sperm, and I think I did about five or six inseminations, which are the easiest and cheapest route. After the first one, I actually did get pregnant, but it was a chemical pregnancy, which kind of registers, but it won't last. And so I thought, okay, there's something down there and let's keep trying. You know, give me a little bit of hope just enough encouragement to keep trying. And I did. I told my parents in the beginning that I wanted to get pregnant and was met with unbelievable uh, disdain and contempt. Shockingly. I mean, they just shocked me. And again, I mentioned that I'm an only child and I thought, oh my God, they'll be so happy, right? No. They were not pleased that I was doing this. And it made me realize in an instant, I'm going to have to lie. I mean, I'm going to have to keep this whole thing from them, which I did. Wow. Did they say why they didn't like the idea? They were traditional, older. I don't know. Something really freaked them out about it. They thought I was selfish. They thought I was misguided. They thought I was not thinking straight, but I was. Because if not now, when? If not me, who? So I took matters into my own hands, which I thought they would have respected, you know, being an independent person and self-reliant. That's how they raised me. But no, they were not happy. 
I ended up keeping it a secret from them for the next three and a half years. And as I continued along my journey, I got more and more desperate and time was definitely ticking and it just got cuckoo until I got to a point where I had really run out of resources and kind of sperm too (laughs) and money. Yeah, it's expensive. (laughs) Yeah, it's very expensive. I did go the timed intercourse route. I did date during this time, believe it or not. I did have a few good Samaritans that I had sex with and nope. I even had a boyfriend during this time, and and God bless him, he tried. So I had one-nighters. Treva also tried in vitro fertilization, where an egg was removed from her ovaries, fertilized with sperm in a lab, then returned to her uterus with hopes it would develop into pregnancy. So there was a whole next level of money and involvement and drugs and doctors and more procedures, and you're monitored a lot closer. There are labs galore. You know, you take your blood. And I felt like, you know, I was seeing these people, the technicians, more than I did my own friends and family. And I was with a great doctor and they were super hands-on with me. And I did three rounds of IVF, once with fresh sperm that my then boyfriend had come in with me to the masturbatorium, as they call it. (laughs) jerked off in a cup, and then two other times with more donor sperm. And then I had the whole egg retrieval thing. They put you on like a two-week course of injections, and then they go in for your retrieval, which you're put under. They get out as many as they can, and then they go to the lab where they are met with the sperm. The embryologist transfers however many back into you. So I did that three times, and it did not work. Ah. And you mentioned dating and then also having sex with like volunteers or people that you'd chosen and and things like that. How did this whole process, because your body has become this like goal vessel (laughs) beyond. Petri dish. Yeah. Like you'd been so in touch, you said, with your body. How did that impact your, your desire for sex, your pleasure, sexual experiences, all of that? Wow. You know, when there's something on the line Okay. I, I, I love sex. Don't get me wrong. And I, I used to get super horny when I ovulate, but now I have like, oh, we have a goal. Let's get to it. You know, come on. So yes, there were times when I'd have a boyfriend or there was a time when before the boyfriend, there was a guy from high school that came back into my life. And he just, out of the goodness of his heart, wanted to knock me up. It was the strangest thing ever. But then again, who was I to say no? So I was like, fuck it. And that is exactly what they did. I would like lock myself for a few days like at home and go on these fuck binges, 48-hour window, and just bang as much as I could. That didn't work, but it was fun. It was a nutty time. It was crazy. But I'm telling you, desperate times call for desperate measures. Through all of that, Pregnancy never panned out for Treva. I almost cannot question it because it will take me to a very sad, sort of dark place. You know, why not me? And what happened? And was I not worthy? Or was God punishing me? Or, you know, for waiting for... I I don't know. I could go on and on and on. Even so, Treva does not feel like her attempts were for nothing. There is something incredibly empowering about setting out to do something and doing it, regardless of the result. 
For that reason, I pat myself on the back because I did it. Does it hurt me? Yes, it does still to this day when I see my friend's grandkids and I'm looking at these babies and I'm, you know, that's kind of a little bit of a killer. There's certain things I just, I I have to like almost physically consciously change the channel in my mind as if I'm turning the channel on a TV because it's not a good place. You can hear a bit about that experience and the relationship that pushed Treva to the end of her rope, showing her she was done with fertility treatments and baby attempts on Patreon or in much more detail in her book. It's called Done Being Single, A Late Bloomer's Guide to Love. Treva did find love through this journey, eventually. The pregnancy thing, the baby thing, really, really kicked my ass for the better. It made me grow up. I took myself a lot more seriously. I took the guys I dated seriously. And I think I would have felt a lot worse had I not tried. So trying is really everything. And then you sort of have to detach from the outcome. So in those four years, I wasn't putting up with any shit. No more dead ends, no more non-starters, no more one foot in, no more guys who just, no. I got really serious about me. As a result, the better I became as a person, the better the guys got, the better my choices became. And the more attractive I became, I think, and the better quality I was able to attract. Because that's what happens. I am now 50. And I met my husband on my 50th birthday. Don't think I didn't have some heartaches in there in those years. I met great guys, but no, no, they weren't going to cut it. They were never going to cut it because at that point I had done the work so masterfully that if you want to be with me, you're going to have to step it up, man. Trevor credits two things for meeting the man she would end up sharing life with. I truly just let go and I took marriage off the table. I had been kind of holding on to it, you know, hoping I can still get married. And I always wanted to get married. That was sort of the dream, right? You know, the weeks up to 50, I was just anticipating, who am I going to be at 50? What am I going to do when that clock turns? I have options. I have choices. I can go to bed and not get out of bed, you know what I mean? I can have a pity party. I can beat myself into oblivion for not accomplishing everything I I wanted to or not. Or I can just say, you know what, fuck it. I'm 50 and fabulous. This is who I am. And I'm on a good path and I only foresee it getting better because that's what was happening. And so I actually turned 50 and instead of having a pity party, I had a party party. Because I thought, well, I'm never getting married, so I'm gonna have a wedding-ish, kind of like a big birthday slash, right? The wedding I'm never gonna have. And I had a big fucking blowout, man. And I, I invited this guy, Robbie, that I had met on Facebook and he showed up. Oh my God. And that's how he came into my life. So here's this guy who also had never been married. Kind of my male counterpart, right? He was just a super nice guy. And he was really like, he was just everything I'd ever look for in a good human being. Interested, curious, dependable humble, direct, considerate. So we just started a date. Apparently we were on the same page. 
vibrating at the same frequency. As far as where she is now in her sexuality and how this relationship has intertwined with that, it's been a learning curve. And where are you now today as far as your body and sexuality, your relationship with your body and sexuality? That is a great question. I'll give you two versions of an answer, okay? For someone who was so used to non-monogamy, someone who was single for so long, someone who was so well-suited for kind of change and variation, I wasn't typically like a long-termer girlfriend. And I, again, I have no hangups about sex. I enjoy it. I've had one-nighters. I've had friends with benefits. I've had all kinds of variations on a theme. So here's what got interesting is now settling down with one person. And we did not live together before we got married. I had never lived with a guy before I was 50 years old. So here I am in this committed, very committed relationship, finally, for the first time, and it is rock solid. He's all in. I'm all in, man. I'm, I'm like, let's do this, right? But how weird was it? What an adjustment. When she was single and wanting to get married, Travis said, sex felt a bit like auditioning. And it became like a little bit of, oh, I got to be hot and good to go all the time. And, you know, the sex has got to be off the charts because I really, you know, I want this to work. I want this relationship to work. And then it wouldn't work. So then there would be another guy in the picture and I'd get to know him. And the sex was super hot and, you know, as it is in the beginning. Then it ended before it even began. So I had a series of these kinds of non-starter, but we'd get into it and it would be great and hot and super passionate. And then boom, done. So now I'm with one person. And that was quite an adjustment. That was like, oh no, I don't have to flirt anymore. I don't have to be super sexy and I don't have to be out there and looking and attractive. And I am for my husband, don't get me wrong. But it was weird, almost like slamming on the brakes. And then you get used to sex with one person. That beautiful thing. I was not used to sex with security. I was not used to sex with stability. I was not used to sex with being loved. And that was all really new and crazy and beautiful. And then guess who goes into menopause at 54? So now sex becomes something else. That was five years ago. And while Travis said that things like topical progesterone and estrogen have helped, her personal sexuality has shifted, and so has her husband's. I am for sure not like, you know, a raging sex machine, but that's just what happens. And you know what? Neither is my husband. I'm 60. And, you know, hubby's 66 now. And we're not exactly banging away every night. That's the way it is, she said. And that's just fine. The important thing is that they're happy. The guy has been an outstanding husband. I mean, for someone who was never married either, shit, this guy has really just risen to the occasion. I can't tell you how nice it has been to get off the merry-go-round or whatever it is. And I don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed dating. I did. I must have loved it because I wouldn't have done it for so long. I mean, let's be honest. I had options. I could have gotten married. 
but I wasn't ready and I wasn't exactly hating dating. So I just kept going and figuring like everything in life, it will happen when it happens, but I love it. I'm so happy to be with a guy that's really a partner and we're in this together. I wish it had happened 30 years ago, you know, but I don't think I, even if he stared right at me in the face, right? I probably would have passed because I wasn't ready. Knowing what you want and what you're ready for is at the heart of the advice that Trevor wanted to leave us all with. So yeah, I straddled, no pun intended, I straddled two worlds. I'm the last year of a of boomer, okay? So I'm still a boomer, but I also had to be a super independent, you know, empowered, progressive single woman at the same time. I come from these two worlds. And at times they, they mesh. Other times they don't because I'm super old fashioned in a lot of ways. But then I'm super progressive in a lot of ways too. So I would say that it is a great time to fly your freak flag. It's a great time to be experimental. It's a great time to discover. And it's a great time to be single. But with that said, I just want to say something about following your heart and staying on the path of right action. Meaning that if you know what you want, don't fuck it up. You know, if you know that marriage and committed relationship is what you want, there's all kinds of things you can do to make sure you get that. Stay on that path of right action. Honor your highest good. If you, you have a goal, you want what you want, really be intentional about it, whether it's marriage or whether it's just being a super kick-ass single person. Don't do anything that is going to sabotage or undermine yourself. Be intentional. That's, that's kind of what I would say. Feel really good about it. Be strong. Have a thick skin. That's another thing. It's hard to do sometimes because there are shamers and there are haters and we are our worst shamers and haters, right? So turn that channel, by the way, here we go, circling back to, you know, your thoughts being a certain channel on the TV. Turn that channel, man, and feel good in your skin. Feel proud and you're going to be okay. And life will bring you beautiful things when you least expect it. Speaking of birthdays and being in your 50s, the pleasure chest turns 52 this month. You can celebrate with free shipping. As they put it, your pleasure is the perfect present. So treat yourself to something nice. Whether you're looking for a wand or a clit toy, a cock ring, awesome lube, kink accessories, they have so much to offer. Check out their popular collections and get that free shipping at ThePleasureChest.com. Again, that's the pleasure chest at thepleasurechest.com. Now, CK's story. Today, she is a writer, director, author, filmmaker, yoga teacher, meditation teacher, and therapist. Early on, her sensuality was a huge part of her, but she learned that it was shameful. 
my dad would keep Playboy magazines on the coffee table underneath the Time magazine. My mother would be distraught and beside herself about it. Uh, we were never told to touch his magazines. And how I know that there was a Playboy magazine underneath that is just because it was just, you heard the fights, you know, you heard the, the talking about it. She said there was this sort of unspoken message that that kind of sexual expression was a bad thing. She would try to bring us up as good girls. My father wanted good, pious girls, you know, wearing dresses and silent. Anything that kind of veered away from that kind of piety or that kind of good girl quality, we got a lot of shaming around it. I remember there was a time when I wore my favorite top. It was red. It had short sleeves. It had a turtleneck, but it had a zipper up the front. And I was 10 years old. And I think I had budding little boobs, little tiny, you know. And uh, uh, my mother came up to me in the front yard because I was in the front yard. And she came up to me because I had the zipper down and she came up to me and she zipped that zipper up so fast that it caught a part of my neck, my skin. And she told me that good girls don't wear the zipper down because of the Playboy magazines and because of how the women dressed in the Playboy magazines in, you know, cut off shorts or, you know, that kind of stuff. My mother never allowed us to wear anything that resembled anything that would make us into the bad girls in the magazines. And so there was a lot of shaming around, around sexuality. Do you remember how that felt to hear those messages? I just felt very isolated. I felt as a girl growing up, I felt very sensual. She loved dancing, running around without clothes on. And to be shunned because you feel that way is embarrassing, it's humiliating, it's confusing, and I felt very isolated. I don't know if I understood sexuality. All I knew was how I felt in my body was shameful and that I wasn't supposed to express myself that way. C.K. attended Catholic school, where the sex advice was essentially, don't do it. She remembers seeing abortion pictures, and the only thought she had about what sex might entail was that it would hurt. So she probably wouldn't want to do it. Eventually, she learned little bits here and there from friends and from older girls at her school. Then, at age 19, she had sex for the first time. And she realized it could actually be pretty wonderful. And then I couldn't get enough of it, much to his chagrin, because I just badgered him all the time. CK didn't know what sex was supposed to feel like, but she knew she loved what she felt. Between that exploration in her late teens and her sexual awakening in her mid-40s, the road felt pretty rocky. She went to university, had a boyfriend for about a year, a relationship that included the usual sex stuff, she said. 
But emotionally, the messaging she received early on was taking a toll. I was very withdrawn. I was very confused and angry. I was very angry at, at my whole family situation and how I grew up. I was angry at the fact that I went to the university at, at first because I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something else, but I was forced to do that. And so having boyfriends, it was really hard for them because I was a hard person. On top of all of that, societal ideas about female sexuality crept or more like whooshed in. She attracted a lot of attention from men, but only, it seemed, for romance and sex, based on ideas of who they wanted her to be versus a whole person. Back then, I was the kind of woman who had men all over me, like, um, you know, claiming their love for me and their undying affection and undying love and wanting to be with me forever. And because of that, I grew colder and colder because I started to feel like I was an object of desire as opposed to a person that had a brain. I was in architecture and, and I had an aptitude towards it. And inevitably, I would have a guy befriending me, not because they liked my brain, but because they liked my body. And then when you find out that the person that you have been befriending sort of just wants you for that, you kind of get angrier because you lose the friendship one way or the other, you know. At one point in the middle of her university years, she moved into a house to live with fellow architecture students. She took over the room of a guy one year ahead of her who was about to leave for the summer. As he left, he claimed his undying affection and, and attraction towards me. And he says, I want your body. I want you. I want this. I want that. And because he kept on, you know, days that kind of let up, I just said, fine, we'll have sex. And so we had sex. And then that was that. I never actually really talked to him again after that. My heart ached hearing CK describe that especially after hearing about how connected she was to her sensuality as a kid, running around in her skivvies, dancing like no one saw. Where was the girl who felt so free in her body and who once loved sex? That kind of scenario unfolds for many folks, especially those of us reared as girls. CK felt torn between her innate desires that she didn't really know how to connect to in an authentic way and not wanting to be perpetually objectified. And maybe that was because of my upbringing, because I didn't want to be seen as a sexual being. I didn't want to be seen as, as the kind of person who, who was open that way. It's interesting because it sounds like you naturally even growing up, had this like connection to what you perceived as your sensuality. You had this like fire in you and the sensuality in you. And then to feel so objectified all the time, that's such a hard combination. I mean, sometimes we want to be objectified, you know, maybe by a partner or like if you're performing in porn or something, then that's what you're supposed to do. Right. But if people aren't seeing you as a person, you feel like, a sex toy or something that changes things. And I'm curious if that desire you had with your first boyfriend, were you able to maintain that or feel it again? 
or did the anger and those frustrations and all the patriarchal crap push it down? Exactly. That that's what actually happened. Mm. You know, in those years after that first time into university and into even my 30s is that you're not in control. You have a sense of your own sensuality, but everybody coming at you is misinterpreting it. And so you have no control over it because your sense of identity from an early age is very patriarchal and very controlled from a male gaze point of view. And so I was looking at myself from that point of view. So I used sex to a certain degree as a weapon, as a get out of my face kind of thing. Let me move on with my life. Yeah. Okay. The sexual acts didn't mean much to me at that point in my life. It just became this thing, a means to an end. Boom. You're done. We're done. Just move on. I always felt out of control in those moments. That all started to change for CK in her 40s. Leading up to that, she had ended a marriage she described as similar to her childhood, full of religion-related strictness and shaming. She and her ex have remained friends, but that decision was difficult. She just knew she needed to break free. So I broke free and I went deep dive into therapy and yoga and meditation. And at first that was about not necessarily controlling the body, but about getting so, so in touch with the body and in touch with my psyche and in touch with everything other than what had made me identify who I was. So yoga and meditation and, and therapy were really great tools to start getting me in touch with who I really was and that sensuality. She even decided to open up a yoga studio. Two years in, everything seemed to be going great when she discovered something devastating. My world kind of shattered because the boyfriend that I had at the time broke up with me. He had an affair. So he left and I was so distraught and I was so distraught at how distraught I was. I just couldn't believe how unhinged I became. She was supposed to be on top of things, in touch with her sensuality and her sexuality. Things were supposed to be different now, better. A few months later, CK asked her ex why it all happened, what had gone wrong other than his own behaviors. And he said that I was not very affectionate and I was cold and I was angry. She thought she had resolved that, but as she contemplated his words more, she realized she had not opened up enough. The restriction from her youth wasn't gone and related healing remained. Although we had great sex, somehow as a person, I was still closed. It was like profoundly 
revealing to me that I still wasn't that open person I thought I was. And, you know, in spiritual practice, you have to know that you're never done. You're never cooked. So she asked herself what she could do. Now that I'm alone, what can I do? And so started to go online. At that time, connecting with people virtually didn't involve FaceTime or videos. It was mostly texting, typing back and forth, and sometimes phone calls. And CK was on a mission. Before long, she met someone. The kind of person I thought that I needed to kind of take me to the next level. He wanted a submissive. And I thought that's perfect because I'm a feminist. I'm in charge. (laughs) I'm in control. And I have to, you know, release that submissive quality that is part of the sensual, you know, life. You know, we would be talking and he would talk about stuff like we would have to do ass play because I'm into that. And he asked me to send him a picture. And so when I took the photograph, I made sure I hid, because <laughs> I'm still doing that. I made sure I hid my, my nipples and my pussy and who I was, except for my lips, because I think my lips are pretty, pretty sensual. And so I sent him a picture. And he asked me why I was hiding. And I didn't want to answer the question because... She doesn't know why. But she knew she was hiding. So they hung up. And I was thinking, am I a prude? Am I, you know, what's going on? I didn't want to go to the places that, that he wanted me to go. And I thought, again, it's just another man telling me what I should be. And at that moment, I just kind of shed everything. In a story CK wrote about this experience called Dances in the Fire, she wrote, If I could act this part, the part of a woman who is open to things, who is open about her desires, who even has desires, will I transform into a being who is about light and confidence and positivity? Is that what I will turn into? Is that the goal? I look into the mirror above the sink and wonder if it's big enough for all that. That night she dreamed about a goddess called Kali, who's known for creation and destruction. She stomps on the heads of men and she wears the skulls of men around her waist and she has a blue tongue and CK later learned that holy people called sadhus would wait for Kali to lift up her dress to show them the universe. And I had the dream that Kali like lifted up her skirt and let me crawl up into her womb to see the universe. And I thought, oh my God, it's like I have a whole universe within me. And that sensuality is that universe. In her story, CK wrote that all of her training as a therapist and her study of yoga had been preparing her for that moment. 
She wrote that all of the fears, shame, and beliefs about her body she had absorbed turned into an energy. She added, I feel it burn deep within me, like being flayed from within. All of it loosened from my very being through all the work, and I'm on fire. My body lets go. I melt to the floor and sob. Naked and writhing, my body gives me the orgasmic release of becoming, a moment of grace. Would you describe that as almost like, I don't know, like a spiritual orgasm? I mean, it seemed like there was definitely a climax and a release. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like that, that kind of sobbing that it comes from that kind of release. And I was alone in my apartment and, and I was, I was just on the floor sobbing and released, released and relieved, completely relieved. She said those feelings were also fleeting, but they left her with a kind of solidness in her body that she had not experienced before, a realness. Not long after, she got back together with her last boyfriend, who she remains with today. And the reason why is because I went to him so open and so raw and so, just so open that, that he, he just, just couldn't believe the change in me. That change filtered into her work at the yoga studio, too, For example, she started teaching students in ways that were more intimate. Less about the yoga and more about the heart. Sort of bring the sensuality into yoga and meditation and not leave it out. I was more open-armed. I was more vulnerable with them. It was just really remarkable. Back at home, she and her partner experimented together with other folks online, the way that she had been exploring on her own, with a community she described as amateur porn stars. As a result, she and her boyfriend grew closer together, and they now share a more solid relationship. It was definitely a healing because I remember when I was a kid, and this is funny, (laughs) never told this to anybody, but I... Used to, when I was a kid, I used to, after my bath, I would take the face cloth and it was wet and I would put it over my little nipples and then I would look in the mirror and then let it fall and just like do a little dance. (laughs) Ah, you did a little strip tease. I did a little strip (laughs) tease and and I, I loved doing it. And so it brought it full circle for me that I was doing a little naked dance for people and and being kind of like you know that sensual woman that I've always wanted to be and always wanted to express and why not to have that sensuality to have that playfulness with you know sexuality and sensuality and I was never able to play and so finally This whole opening gave me a chance to play. Find Treva Brandon Scharf's book, Done Being Single, A Late Bloomer's Guide to Love, 
most anywhere books are sold. You don't have to be single to read it, she said. It focuses a lot on personal growth and excellence. Trevor described it as a masterclass in being a strong, empowered single person, a happy partner, or a content human being based on lessons she's learned through the decades. Learn more and download two free chapters at trevabrandonscharf.com. You can read CK's love story, Dances in the Fire, inspired by the experience you heard about today in the anthology Midlife on Fire, Risky Business, Real Stories, Women Writers. She also has a new podcast, which I'm excited about. Find the Midlife on Fire podcast or apply to appear at restlessspiritproductions.com slash midlife-on-fire-podcast. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I would love it if you would text your friends about it and if you would leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or in the iTunes store. For very occasional updates from me, and to make sure you stay in my loop, sign up for my mailing list at augustmclaughlin.com. Thanks so much for listening.